This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is September the 17th. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn, and as we talked about on last week's episode, we are in a staffing crisis. Animal welfare staff in municipal shelters, private nonprofits, are not just overworked, but underpaid, and in some cases, massively so. And that, in part, has put us where we are today. Now, this is not an animal welfare-only issue. Industries across the board are in the same boat. And I do want to say this week what I said last week, because it's always worth repeating, the only solution for dealing with people not being paid a living wage is to pay people a living wage. But I do think there are larger issues at play in our industry that makes the case of paying people a living wage more difficult than it should be to make. And it's the perception of animal welfare, of its importance in our communities, and a lack of knowledge from the public, from elected officials, sometimes board members. They often do not know what you do and what you need to be successful. So that makes it much easier for them to approve a $9 an hour wage for a new position if they have no idea what the hell that role even really entails. I mean, think about it. If you've ever had to talk to one of your local elected officials about animal issues, odds are you've been lumped in with the quote-unquote crazies, right? Or you've been easily dismissed because how important is this whole animal business anyway? Imagine someone representing another critical community service talking to that same elected official. The health department, the fire department, public works. What separates us from them? That's a question today's guest asked herself over the course of her career. Tawny Hammond, the director of National Learning Advancement for Best Friends, also a producer of this podcast, realized that we need to do what she calls professionalizing the profession. You know, Tawny, I'm not sure if you know an exact number. It doesn't matter. Just curious. I was thinking about this before we jumped on. Over the course of your career, how many people would you say you've hired? Uh, hundreds, surely thousands? Yeah. In my career, in 30 years of public service, I would say, you know, hundreds. In my perks career, I had you know several hundred people that um, I was responsible for, part-time and full-time workforce. And then you put add volunteers in. We developed sophisticated volunteer programs, and you could be talking, you know, about 500, 600 humans contributing their time and energy and talents to a mission. So a lot of hiring, a lot of recruiting, a lot of training, a lot of mistakes, a lot of lessons learned. Public service doesn't pay very well for certain positions. And, you know, you get college people coming out with degrees in a certain subject. Maybe it was parks and recreation or outdoor recreation or fitness or leisure and hospitality. And we didn't pay really well for entry level. So we had to be super creative on how we recruited people and how we treated people and professional development pathways and utilizing internships. Of course, we're going to talk about the professional development stuff, but I'm just curious, given your, you know, long work history, your career, you know, you've been through a lot of different times. Where does this time stack up for you in terms of the job market, the economy, the staffing crisis. Have you ever seen anything like this? And it's that's a goofy question the way I just said that because uh, obviously there's so many factors right now that none of us have ever experienced or ever thought we would. So you've not seen anything like this. I just mean from a sort of hiring, firing economy, a 
applying for jobs, keeping employees perspective. I got to think that this is uh, one of the trickiest. It is. You know, when I got out of college in 1984, I came out in a recession and my degree was in public relations, communications, journalism. Uh, I had a really good resume and I just couldn't find anything. And I ended up selling cable television door to door on the south side of Chicago. The company was in Oak Park, Illinois, where I lived. It was Cablevision of Chicago. Were you good at it? I did pretty good. I made $50 a sale. I was door knocking in some of the southern suburbs of the city. You know, back then, 1984, cable was MTV in the 80s. It was like the thing, getting cable TV. So also being a young woman, uh, I did pretty well. Some of my male counterparts didn't do so well door knocking, but I uh, turned on the charm and personality. But the point is, when I was going to Western Illinois University and dreaming of big things and being an author and being famous writer and coming out and working for a public relations firm, I never dreamed that I'd be working for like, I don't know, $8 an hour at uh, Cablevision in Oak Park, Illinois on Madison Avenue in the southern suburbs of Chicago, door knocking, selling cable TV. So the point in me sharing a personal story with you is that um, there are periods of time where people are having a hard time uh, finding employment and people are underemployed and young adults moving back with their parents. Um, I do know that we're in a historic time period in our life. We've got the pandemic, we've had political upheaval, we've had violence in our nation's capital. We've had so many distractions and disturbances and lots of people have lost their lives to this pandemic. So it's this is different. I'm not comparing it to a recession and me not being able to get a job right out of college in 1984. But in my career, my 30-year career, I remember 2009, we had a financial meltdown and municipalities had to furlough employees. We froze spending. We tried to save money by attrition. We froze raises. People didn't get cost of living. We had staff shortages. We had managers and high-level people cleaning locker rooms, uh, leading programs, working the front desk because we simply didn't have the funds. So I've lived through a couple of these scenarios, albeit not with a pandemic, but financial crises that that cost people jobs and was scary. So I do believe these things are driven by different factors and we're experiencing one uh, in pretty epic proportions and we're feeling it intimately and painfully in the animal services world because of what we do. Tony, something I hear you say a lot, and I, I think we should probably use it for the title of the episode because it's great. You say professionalize the profession. I don't know if you coined that term, but if you did, you should probably trademark it. You know, in three words, it sums up very nicely the work you're doing, but it sums up for me a big stumbling block that we've had in our way and continue to have. And listen, don't get me wrong. We're a professional industry. Everyone listening to this, we're professionals. There are, have been, and still are certificate programs out there. All great. It's not a slight on any of them. But what I mean is there are massive gaps when it comes to things like understanding and accepting best practices, communicating our issues to the public. I mean, we're just not on the same page at all. Uh, so professionalizing the profession, as you say, I think really is something that can and will change these things. Tell me more about the work you're doing. Yeah. Well, what we're doing at Best Friends Animal Society in partnership 
with Southern Utah University is we are professionalizing the profession. And I, I did start saying that when I came into animal services from park services, because I was really shocked at the lack of consistency in the field. Different cities and counties just kind of doing wildly different things of how they treated companion animals. And if something is a discipline, you don't have that. You don't have fire departments around the country all putting out fires a different way. It's a field and it's a discipline. And so from my municipal perspective, I was really gobsmacked. I was like, whoa, if, you, if I went to a SAWA conference or an ASPCA conference or a Nathan Winograd conference or a Best Friends conference or Humane Society of the United States Animal Care Expo, I heard different philosophies and a lot of discord and dissension and kind of squatting up, clicking up. I'm in the golden years of my career. I didn't have any time for that. And so I just cut through it. And thankfully, Best Friends welcomed me with open arms and saw the need to create clarity and unity. And what we're working on is elevating a field or a profession to a discipline. Because if it's a discipline, you don't have decisions being made based upon personalities or the politics of elected officials or the status quo. If it's a discipline, you can't have the mayor in Des Moines, Iowa, or the animal services director in Des Plaines, Illinois, or the city council in Abilene, Texas. I mean, take your pick. I'm just speaking about random communities. Just kind of setting their animal services code, the way animal control responds to, to animals and people, and the way sheltering is conducted. You just can't do it haphazardly if it's a discipline. So I did say professionalizing profession, and I think some people found that offensive. People that have been in this field for a long time said, you know, you're coming into from Parks and Rec. I haven't been here that long. You, you think you're an expert? And I, my answer to them is, no, I'm not an expert, but I am a student. And we teach best what we need to learn the most. And I see a hot mess. And I see people turf guarding, people pointing fingers, people twisting, particularly best friends, because we talk about no kill. People either say one of two things. One, it's impossible. Animals are going to have to die if they're not safe for the community or they'll mix it up with euthanasia and we're not trying to stop euthanasia. Or they'll say that we're trying to create, you know, unsafe communities. Or the other thing they'll say is, oh, you're not no kill. You still end the lives of pets that are not dogs that aren't safe for the community. And that's what happened to me in Austin. So like we're in a can't win situation. But I try and ignore that when I'm working with students in our programs and say, I don't care what you call it. If you're in a community that where that language is not tolerated, and I worked in the police environment where no kill was not tolerated, that, that, that terminology. But then I came to Austin where it was very much accepted. It doesn't matter. What matters is how we conduct business. And it's a way of doing business. And it's a way of making decisions every day. It's not a destination. It's not a numbers game. It's about revolutionizing. It's revolutionary change and animal services. And so we're doing that with creating certificates in animal services and certificates for top level decision makers, executive leadership, certifications, management leadership for mid-level professionals. We're working on shelter medicine leadership certification. We've already got our cat life saving certification rolling on our second class. And then dog life saving will be out soon. 
and then we'll we'll start working on animal control or field services leadership certification and all these certifications john are standalone but students can choose to earn academic credits that they can apply towards a bachelor's or a master's degree at southern utah university and that is basically the process of elevating a profession to a discipline it's not the best friends way or any other organization's way. It starts with life first, and after all options have been exhausted and explored, then you're looking at the humane ending of a a companion animal's life because you've exhausted all your resources. And so that's the basic premise. Different communities have different resources, and we have a ways to go because we still have inconsistencies with funding of municipalities across the country. Animal services are quite often not prioritized. Pets are treated in a utilitarian fashion. You know, pets are treated kind of like trash, leaves, and snow. A lot of elected officials just don't want the noise. They don't want to hear about it. They want it to disappear. They don't want the community involved because to them that admits failure. And we've got to change that because it's it cannot be on the back of municipalities. It is a community ethic and the community will and can help and that really is an animal services organization's capacity. That is the community fostering, keeping pets with their family, and working on social equity. Talking about education right now in the middle of a staffing crisis is interesting to me. And you should probably take this with a grain of salt because, as you know, you're talking to someone who flunked out of college maybe more than once. Uh, but, you know, in a job market where the employers have the upper hand, you know, we've got way fewer jobs and applicants. So, Talking about certifications, continuing education, that you know improves your hireability. It's easy, right? We all make sense. But right now, the job market is the other way, right? We've got employers that can't find enough people. So I think for some people, it might be easy to write off and say, "Yeah, you know, I, I can get a job basically anywhere I want. I don't need this. The only reason I would need it is to get my foot in the door. You know, look good on a resume." Uh, and and it's just that's just not the case. Yeah, a couple things I wanted to comment on that, John. So yeah, there's lots of jobs and not enough people. And it's not just animal services. As Heidi mentioned, uh, Heidi Voris on last week's podcast, the job market is really interesting right now. And I think she was she had some really astute observations, and I've done research on my own. The pandemic and how it's affected families, and particularly women who are often the child care caretakers um, that's changed the way they think about work. It's also, I think, made us all take stock in what we want to be doing with our lives. People lost family members because of the pandemic. You know, coming off this really kind of violent political situation. And I think that was scary for people to see the the seat of our nation under siege. And then to be in the middle of a pandemic and people having to stay home and make these really tough choices, sometimes losing loved ones and not even being able to be there with them. You know, those kinds of experiences change people. So I think that that is a good, you know, it's it's sad, but it's a good reason that would drive people to the certifications that we have to offer because this field is about redemption. It's about healing. It's not just about animals, it's about people. Because where we find social inequities, we also find the majority of dogs and cats losing their lives prematurely. So it's also about the equity of the people and their pets. And I think people want to be doing meaningful things with their lives. 
you could get a Principles of Contemporary Animal Services certificate from Southern Utah University and add that to your LinkedIn and your resume. And you can come into a field that's about creating equity for pets and their people. And I just think people are really focused on higher, higher causes now. I think we've taken stock at what matters to us in life. I think now's the time. We're at a social tipping point for animal services. I think people get it. You know, look how many people statistically own pets in our nation and that they're part of the family. They've gone from the barnyard to the backyard to the living room and in the bedroom and they're they're eating and sleeping and playing and being part of their people, their people, their families' lives. And we're at a time where we're hurting. And we know the National Institutes of Health have multiple studies that talk about how companion animals contribute to our mental and physical well-being, connect us socially, help us overcome isolation, loneliness, anxiety, and depression, and pets contribute in a meaningful way to our economy. I actually think that we, if we play our cards right, and we market, and we communicate, and we let people know what we have to offer, I think people will choose this pathway and this noble cause and this profession. I hope this doesn't come across like I'm blaming workers because I'm not, uh, you know, people not getting paid a living wage isn't their fault. But I can tell you from personal experience that it never does any good to sit back and say, well, I'm not paid enough and it's never going to change and I'm never going to be appreciated. So forget it. You know, there are always things we can do individually. and And I think this is one of them. You can start to take control of your own situation, figure out your goals. If it is to have a career in animal welfare, be proactive, enhance your own individual skill set. I mean, at the very least, increasing your own competency gives yourself a better case to go to management and say, hey, look, I'm worth more than what you're giving me. I'm out here busting my butt to learn more and be more effective. Look at all the tools that I've got now. And, And also, and I know this is very easy for me to say, but there are other places to work saving lives than where you are now. There'll be someone listening who's at a rural shelter and there's like not even another town for like 200 miles. Uh, Hi, by the way, thank you for listening. This is not very helpful for you. But the vast majority of you, I've seen several posts on Facebook this week alone for open positions in animal welfare. Good ones, good ones. And I'm barely on Facebook. So good paying jobs at good organizations that aren't going to destroy your soul do exist. So, you know, if this really is where you feel stuck, Let's figure out how we can get you unstuck. Yeah, 100%. What I think too, though, is people that are frontline employees that are often the lowest paid in an organization, what's key for employers to understand is that we're treating those individuals as important parts of our organization. We're communicating their importance. We're creating a culture where they feel valued and they know how important they are. And then we're offering them opportunities for development. You know, it used to be that people that were hired to care for animals, you know, you just needed a GED. And I'm not saying that paper education makes you smart because there's a lot of smart people that haven't gone to any higher learning institutions. So I am not being snobbish about this. There's tons of people that didn't finish high school or college that are doing quite well for themselves and lives and are good people. But I think if we're pays really low and We're trusting people with a lot of responsibility, the care of living beings that are scared and hurting and that could potentially lose their lives and are losing their lives. 
and you pay people poorly, you may not always get the highest qualified applicant or someone with the aptitude for compassion and, and maybe a growth mindset. At least that's the way it was in the past. One of the things that animal services has to do right now, and I think we're doing this, is treating people on the front line at the front desk, back in the kennels with the animals, treating them well, letting them know they're valued, giving them other um, benefits, and also recognizing them as an important part of our mission, and then offering them pathways. I've known people that have been in animal care for a long time, particularly in Austin. I had 130 employees, and there had people that had been there for 15, 20 years. They'd gotten cost of living raises. They had very good benefits. They're, they liked what they were doing. It was their calling. Then others were like, nope, I'm doing this right now. I'm learning a lot about the back of the house operations, but I very much want to move up and I want to do more. I want more responsibility. It can't just be about money. If it's about money, you're in the wrong profession. It's got, and people have to feed their families. I understand that, but it's got to be a higher calling. You have to understand what you're doing and why it's important. And if your heart's in it and your brain's into it, in it, and you want to learn more, then what we have to offer at Best Friends and Southern Utah University is really powerful. And we also have scholarships, John. We've developed a scholarship fund. People that are interested in coming into the field from another profession, or they're interested in getting into the profession, they're already in it. They want to, I hate saying move up. You know, we're so stuck in that like pyramid from the industrial revolution. And I hate it. I just, it's, it's, I don't even, I don't like what it symbolizes um, that, you know, these are peons and underlings, and then there's the big boss, and then there's the mid-level managers. Really, we're more of a talent network model. I think that's much healthier. And yeah, there's different pay, pay levels because you have different years of experience, and you're bringing different, uh, bringing those experiences and education and aptitudes to the table, and we're paid accordingly. So for people that are, got, you know, in those frontline jobs that want to, to move up, these certificates could be pretty powerful for them. I almost forgot this, and I have to put it in the standard podcast boilerplate disclaimer, really all the time, but particularly with tricky topics. John Dunn talking, not best friends. Uh, but it always comes back to pay, though, doesn't it, Tawny? I mean, it happened when I talked to John and Heidi for the last episode. We can sit here and talk about creative ways to do more with less, attract talent, retain employees. We should be doing that. But we got to keep pushing the industry. We got to pay people more. And we need to prioritize emotional well being. We got to create work cultures that don't burn through people like they're disposable. So now we come back to, you know, the more we professionalize the profession, the easier it is to make the case that budget should be bigger and that pay should be on par with the work that's being done. Yeah. And for your listeners, for our listeners listening to the, the podcast, if somebody's already in public service or nonprofit, different pro profession, thinking about changing careers. I know a lot of that's happening right now uh, during the pandemic. And the executive leadership certification uh, is really a good place to start. What I will tell the listeners is right now we are doing it on invitation only. But if the right person came to us that had the credentials in the background, the leadership background, and would be willing to step into animal services, um, there are a lot of professional opportunities. And also, too, even the management leadership, mid-level professionals. There's jobs all over the country. It does re require relocation, but the pay is good. The opportunities are good, and organizations are looking for people. I think that 
going back to something you said a few minutes ago, if it's all about money, you're in the wrong profession. But I know it's about money because we want to take care of our families. We need to pay our bills. We all have ambitions and want to have more responsibility and be recognized with pay that's in keeping with our responsibilities. There's no sin in that. There's no harm in that. It's just you can't do one before the other. If you want more money, you can't just be grumpy and grump around and be miserable. You need to be valuable. You know, I used to tell people that I mentored in my career, behave as if you're in the position that you want to be in, not the one that you are in. And also be so valuable to the organization that when you're not there, they miss you. And that's not, we're coming to work with a chip on your shoulder. That's not walking around sullen and quiet and sad and angry. That is dealing with things maturely, communicate with decision makers, let them know what your aspirations are, where you want to be in life. We always think bosses are the ones that have the answers. And one of the things we teach in the executive leadership certification and management leadership is that we mentor each other. Bosses learn from their employees. Supervisors learn from their staff. Nobody has all the answers. In animal services where intellectual curiosity is king, I tell people I will be wrong all day long if we get it right. And I'm constantly learning from the students in our programs. And so we've got to get out of that mindset that the bosses hold the keys and all the knowledge and that we're being held down. We need to come to them. And I mean, you have, may have a boss that's arrogant and thinks they do know it all. And I feel sorry for people like that. And you can move on to another organization that's going to value your ambitions, but we've got to be in it for the right reasons. And if we're in it for the right reasons and we, we develop our professional backgrounds and we carry ourselves with dignity and respect, you will move up. You will get ahead. I know what it's like. I was in Parks and Recreation for 25 years and I had some really, I had some really rough supervisors. They weren't mentors. It was more boot on your neck. I couldn't get promoted out of the field because I was too valuable because I was really good at it. And I made the decision to take an internship with the county executive's office in Fairfax County, where I was exposed to other leadership within the county. And I was invited. I was actually offered a couple of jobs. One of them was to, in, in municipal world, you don't just get offered it. You have to compete for it. It's, um, you know, a lot of checks and balances in, in there. But um, I got out of that place that wasn't satisfying my needs where I felt trapped. I just wasn't the big rock candy mountain. I was treated poorly for many, many years and felt my talents weren't recognized. And when I got into animal services, it was a different ball game. I felt that, you know, things just opened up and changed. And even my parks colleagues will, will talk about that. They were like, oh my God, look at where, where you came from and where you are. And, you know, I want to be polite and kind because I also had a lot of good people in my career that were not oppressive. Tony, I know you have to go, but I have two more uh, quick ones. One is your advice. What is the best thing employers can do today with the experience you have? I mean, let's say you're hired right now to be the executive director of, you know, I don't know, the any town USA Humane Society. Like, what, what are you going to do? What do you, you sit in that chair? What are you going to do? Well, branding and messaging and marketing are really, really important. And if the organization I came into didn't have a real clear branding message, I would get permission to create, I'd work with the powers that be. I'd work with public relations and marketing, my chain of command. Uh, I'd be really thoughtful about that. First of all, you need to like kind of settle in, understand that 
the history of the organization, where all the pain and pinch points are, uh, any broken relationships that are really important to success. But what is the message going to be to the community? So in animal services, it is that life-saving and being a resource is a community ethic. It doesn't happen within the confines of the municipal organization. Without the community, we can't do our mission. And I would say to hiring into the employees, and this happened in Austin, it was like the Alamo. They were hunkered down. They felt the community loved animals more than them. They were sad. They'd be crying in my door. It was a lot of sadness, a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, people out on medical leave, uh, a lot of just people out, people I didn't even meet. And I'd been there like a month or two um, that were out because of mental health issues. And I just said, look, this community loves you. They love you. You are the uh, life-saving warriors. You're public servants. You're part of a noble cause and profession. And I just elevated their status. I talked about them. I celebrated them. I bring them with me to media interviews. I made it less about me, less about animals and more about the community and how pets completed families and more about social justice and equity. So I think creating the right culture is numero uno. People want to be part of a winning team. They don't want to be part of a beleaguered, underfunded, under-sieged, crippled team. They want to be part of a, a vibrant, positive, forward-facing, contemporary team that's part of social revolution changing the way communities treat companion animals because it benefits pets and their people. And you just, you want to make it attractive. I did it in parks too. Parks are part of community wellness. People wanted to come somewhere, somewhere that was happy, not standing around the water cooler talking about negative stuff, but make people happy, complete, complete people's lives. So I, I really think positivity, culture, and um, including all in problem solving, you're gonna attract talent. I had people leave the park authority in Virginia to come work with me in animal services that had never worked in animal services. And you know what? They're still there and they're doing really well. And then what about your advice for job seekers? Well, first of all, volunteering if you're not in the field is a good way to get your foot in the door, but you, you should have a good resume. Everybody can do a good resume. There's templates online. There's a free help at libraries and in career centers. Um, there's just really no excuse for having a, a lackluster resume these days, not with the internet and uh, so many um, self-help places where you can polish your resume and make it um, something that'll stand out. And the other thing is develop a good LinkedIn account, clean up your social media to uh, be professional and something you can be proud of. You know, screaming about political things might feel good for a minute on our on our social media pages. And that's our choice, freedom of speech, right? But you want to behave the way the position you want to be in. And when employers do look at social media, they go to Facebook, Instagram. Uh, now there's TikTok. They'll go to LinkedIn. So clean that up and, and, and remember that's, that's kind of your forward-facing persona. Um, the other thing is you might have to work for a year with that kind of pay. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be something you're ashamed of or embarrassed. You should become a student of the profession and, and research the place you're going to come to work for. If you're going to come to work for a place that's prematurely ending the lives of healthy, treatable or rehabilitatable pets, uh, that would not be a good entree into the field. That would be a good way 
to it's the opposite of what you want to do. So I'd research the organization, you know, pretty carefully. Uh, we've got our pet life-saving dashboard, best friends, on our webpage. You can look at statistics of organizations, and it is as much you're interviewing them as they're interviewing you. Make yourself valuable. And the other thing is the certificates we have at Southern Utah University. There's the Principles of Contemporary Animal Services certificate that's starting this fall. Uh, Don Jennings of Best Friends is going to be teaching that course, and I believe we have openings. I think that's just starting. You might be able to still get in, but we will offer it again. And that's a six-week course, and it introduces you to basically all the foundation, foundational principles of what contemporary animal services is. If you have your bachelor's degree, there's the contemporary animal services leadership a course that you can take in the master's program here at Southern Utah University. And we're working right now on a, on a associate's degree and bachelor's degree. So stay tuned for more information on that. We do offer cat life-saving um, certifications. That's on our webpage information. We'll have dog life-saving certifications up here soon. Um, management leadership certifications, we run those. We'll be starting that in November, and we'll have information on the Best Friends website. But I would stay plugged in and stay tuned to those type of opportunities. Atani is right. All of the information about this, the different educational opportunities, we've got them up on the website. So the easiest way, go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. That's the landing page for the Best Friends podcast. Scroll down just a bit. You'll see a link for episode number 80. Click that and they will be there in the resources section of that page. Again, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Tawny is one member of a team of people that help make this podcast happen. The others are Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>